Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Ira Green, who is the founder and CEO of Freedom, a company that makes natural deodorants that make you smell great. She has quite the story of how this company got started, what she's done to grow it. It's truly remarkable, and I can't wait for you to listen to this episode where she gives insights into so many things around creating this type of product and this type of company. You can learn more at freedomdeodorant.com and use the coupon code JUSTGO to save on your next order. As always, the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple podcast. And of course, the Weekly Grind, my weekly newsletter comes out every single Friday. You can find out more at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Without further ado, here is Ira Green, the founder and CEO of Freedom. Ira, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Glad to have you on. Talk about your business and how it started is where I want to begin. I know there's a backstory behind it. So with Freedom, how did this get started? Oh my gosh, there's such a backstory. I had uh, three friends diagnosed with breast cancer. And I guess three might be one of my lucky numbers. I have three kids also. And it was all, it all happened <laughs> in six months. And um, they're, they're 31, 41, and 43. And I'm going to say they are because they're all still alive, which is great. Um, Amazing. What was interesting was all their doctors came back and were like, you know, stop wearing antiperspirant because, you know, your skin's your largest organ and that's a drug. So like, it's not just what you put in your body. It's what you put on your body as well. Um, and so just stop using it. And I'm like, what do you mean? It's a drug. Who knew that antiperspirant was a drug, right? And you're wearing it every day and you're not even enjoying it like you should now. Um, but yeah, it's a drug. It's an over the counter drug. Anytime it says the word antiperspirant in it, because your body is supposed to perspire. That's how it breathes. That's how it cools itself down. And when you put an antiperspirant in, it actually changes the way your body works by stopping it from breathing in all essence. So um, I was floored. I was shocked. I'm like, we're never touching this again. Um, Ran over to my local Whole Foods, bought a natural deodorant, sitting in a meeting, you know, as a financial advisor, and I'm sitting in a meeting full of men. I even remember what I was wearing. I was wearing a black sleeveless uh, dress. Um, And it was... Vegas summer, right? And uh, <laughs> I remember looking around and I'm like, what is that smell in this room? Like this guy like reeks over here. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no. So, um, <laughs> oh my God. And that began the deodorant, you know, hunt. Um, I bought so many deodorants. I stopped buying all my fancy stuff at Sephora and Nordstrom's and started buying deodorants every chance I got that were natural. And, you know, I had either I had reactions to it. They didn't work. They smelled like trees. I'm from Seattle. I don't want to smell like a tree. Um, (laughs) You know, it was it was pretty crunchy. And I was like, why? I'm not really a crunchy girl. So why can't I use natural products, right? Why isn't there just one that works? Yeah. So a friend of mine's like, you know, I make mine at home and I'm like, wow, that gets even crunchier at that point. And uh, <laughs> a week later, I told her, I'm like, exactly how do you make that? So I'm a pretty good cook. And um, I took this recipe and 
started cooking it in my kitchen and gave it to my friends. And I gave it to one friend that was going through chemo and the chemo had set her into an early onset menopause. Like, so this one was a mess, right? She's on chemo, going through menopause. She hates life at this point, right? But she wants to stay in life and live it. And she's also a mom and a wife. And she called me three days later and she was crying. And I said, why are you crying? She goes, I don't smell. My husband's not avoiding me. My kids will talk to me. And she was in tears. It was a game changer for her because she felt normal again. For the first time in a long time, she finally felt normal. So she goes, what is it? You know, and I'm like, it's all food grade ingredients. Like you could eat this thing. Like don't, please put it, just put on your armpits. But uh, uh, Please don't, but yes. yes, Yeah, you know. And um, from that point on, my phone was ringing off the hook. And... Being in Las Vegas, you know, and being in the financial world, you know, I'm, I'm not stupid, right? I'm like, wait a minute, there's there's a possibility that this could be something bigger. Yeah. And I took my kid's lunchbox, I'll never forget, it's this little lunchbox, and I threw a whole bunch of deodorants in there that I made in my kitchen. And I walked up and down the Las Vegas Strip, knocking on spa doors. You know, I may not know retail, but I know a spa pretty well. I've spent some serious money in spas. And I know that they did not have deodorants, natural deodorants in there. And um, everybody said no. Everybody except for the Four Seasons, which is a really nice account to get, right? Uh, Yeah, especially as your first one, if that's the first one you get. Yes. Now, mind you, if you look at where the Four Seasons is on the Las Vegas Strip, there's nothing beyond it. Right. Yeah. It's the last place on the strip. And so I kind of like basically sat down and was like, I'm not leaving until somebody comes out and says yes to me. Because at this point, like, <laughs> like 20 people already say no, they wanted nothing to do with me. So, you know, they gave us a PO under one condition. We changed our packaging. They basically said it was ugly. And I was like, that's okay. fine. You could call me ugly as long as you give me a PO all day long. Right. So they did. And they are still one of our favorite clients. Um, And we've got many more Four Seasons at this point. Uh, We also launched, we were the first natural deodorant in all of Canyon Ranch nationwide um, and Miraval, uh, all locations. And now we're in over 300 spas, I believe, uh, nationwide. And we are one of the only uh, natural deodorants that is uh, a approved vendor for the major hotels as well. That's incredible and amazing start. I mean, goodness gracious, that to go from that terrible situation, yeah. three friends and get cancer to then solving this problem. There's a lot to dig into with this. So when you were testing out the product itself, so like trying to create something that would be a great product, it would work well, obviously smell well, that's the whole point. With that, how long did that take you to, to get like a product that was workable enough to been feel comfortable with, okay, let's go to the force. Let's walk, knock on doors. Let's go to these spa doors. Let's go to the four seasons. Like take me through that process from having the idea to that point of getting the first kind of purchase order. Yeah. Like take me through that a bit more. So you're going to laugh. So I, I should also say that we were the first clean deodorant to launch on QVC a year ago, like two days ago. We just had our anniversary for a year. Oh, Congrats. Thank you. But you're going to crack up. Between the time that we started with Four Seasons, we, between the time we launched with QVC, I think we changed our formula 20 times. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. No <laughs> joke. Like, it was the craziest thing. You know, we're constantly still changing it all the time just because, you know, 
somebody once told me, I think I was listening to Reed Hoffman on how I built this. And he was like, if you wait till it's perfect, you waited too long. Um, and so I wanted to go in with, I hate to say just good enough, but kind of, and the reason behind that was I figured that our community would tell us what they needed it to be better. How, you know, because I could try to figure it out as a consumer, but I really, I, I refuse to be the smartest person in the room, you know? And so, and they did, they said, you know, packaging needs to be different. This needs to look different. You know, um, even our label has changed like probably five or six times. It just changed again two weeks ago. Um, we added foil to the bird. Um, you know, I wanted to hear people's feedback. So you can't hear people's feedback if your product is perfect, right? This is perfect. Right. There's nothing to change. And you'll never know what that is, right? There's always, somebody's going to dislike something. And, you know, that being said, though, you can't listen to everybody either. You know, if if uh, people come in and say it's too dry, it's too, like, literally, we had a review, I think, on Amazon. There was, they were back to back. One was like, this is the driest thing. It's like sandpaper. Literally, the next review was like, this is so soft. It's like, <laughs> right? And it's like, yeah. It- what is it? (laughs) (laughs) How do you decipher between that feedback then era to create what you think is going to be the best version of the product at the time? You know, I'm still trying to figure that out. If if you have any ideas there, let me know. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) We tested all ourselves as well. As soon as it comes in, like we have a new scent that's going to go exclusive with QVC in September and we'd never made it. We've never made it. It just came in and they needed it in like three weeks. And that is way too short of an R&D time to, to test yeah. the product. But, you know, it was just a sub change. And I actually ended up changing a couple other things because I wanted it to glide better. And it worked. It, it just came in. We just tested it out. Like literally we're turning around and sending it back out, right, um, to be sold. Uh, but it's just you start to get to know it so well that, you know, little tweaks here and there. And we had situations where I tweaked it and we lost good 4,000 units. It was too much. Wow. Yeah. With that, then you're always obviously testing products to, to improve upon that's how, you know, anyone should be obviously trying to improve their business and trying to improve their product. When you had that, that early version with the four seasons, what was it about that that made them say yes? Obviously, you're super persistent. You're like, I'm not going to leave until basically until they, they say yes. But what do you think it was that made them say yes to this? Well, remember, first they said no because they didn't like our packaging. Yeah. And then I turned around. I went, wait a minute. Hold on. You don't like, wait a minute. If I change my packaging, you're going to say yes? They're like, yeah. And, and, and I was like, what? what? And I love Shannon. <laughs> She's fantastic. But, you know, it was interesting because she said to me, she goes, it's different. Um, she was, I love your passion behind it. I think she saw me, you know, and me really just wanting it. And she's like, you know, we'll give it a shot. We'll see what happens. They sold out in four days, by the way. Um, but she was like, I get it. Like we have clients in here that come in that are survivors, breast cancer survivors, you know? And, um, I don't know if you're familiar, but one in eight women get diagnosed with breast cancer. I mean, you know, more than eight women, right? Yeah. Yep, they're bound to then. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's pretty crazy, right? So, I mean, 
It is. And it affects, yeah, affecting so many people and everyone obviously knows someone. Of course, everybody knows someone. And, you know, and she's got this really high end, beautiful spa um, that caters maybe a little bit to an older crowd, which uh, breast cancer is obviously much more prevalent to an older crowd. And I'm not talking about 60, 70, I'm talking about 40s and 50s and now 30s. And um, so she gets, she sees it all the time. So she's like, if I could give something to those women, that, you know, and she's thinking that only breast cancer survivors are going to be buying this and oh, how much we've learned over the last few years, you know, um, she was like, I couldn't believe it. And we actually ended up getting her to switch from a regular deodorant, antiperspirant, um, which she's like, I'm just not that natural girl. She's like, Botox me, you know, well not, you know what I mean? She's like, make me look 25. Yeah, yeah, and uh, she came to me about a year later, and she's like, "I hope you know, I've been using it as well." And she's like, "It's the only thing I'll use. It's the only thing I'll put on my kids." And that that was that that was really that that was heartfelt, you know. Yeah, it's huge to see the impact that way. It's one thing when someone you know says they're supporting you, but when they support you with their wallet and just voluntarily you know, help you out because they think it's actually a good product, and that's a whole nother level, uh, you know, and really impacting people's lives in that way, and. One thing I'm wondering too, just going back, because you you're cooking this up in the kitchen essentially to begin with, but then you say you mentioned having the Four Seasons uh, in Vegas and expanding out as well. Then take me through the production side and how that evolved to be able to actually get this in the hands of people who need it. Oh my gosh, that was like a nightmare. It still is on a daily basis. Um, manufacturing production is just not my specialty, uh, but I have a great operations person who's in it right now. <laughs> Um, and don't even get, we just went to sanitizers and we have sanitizers, wipes, sanitizer wipes on Alaska airlines. And I'm not even going to get started on the production on that. Um, I'm just glad I didn't have to make them in my kitchen. Um, you know, we started in my kitchen. Oh my God. Yeah. Quickly outgrew the kitchen. Um, and you know, the funny thing is everybody's like, I'm going to start at home, you know, looking back on it, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know. I am really actually really weary about things that are made in the house now. Cause I'm like, do you have a dog? Do you have a cat? Do your kids touch it? You know what I mean? I'm like, they yeah. in my house. And I'm like, I can't keep making this here. And um, we got a commercial kitchen fairly quickly. Um, we actually only had it once a week. It was Wednesdays from 5 till five p.m. till 2 o'clock in the morning. I'll never forget this. So we're literally, we have a production line in there. I have friends. I have family. I have people, you know, everybody's got their hair nets, gloves, and everything else. And there's just pounds of coconut oil and shea butter and baking soda and magnesium and just drums of essential oils in there. And we had to bring everything in and out every time we came in. Yeah. So we're talking three, four hundred pounds of, you know, powder products and three, four hundred pounds of coconut oil, like pow, like butter. <laughs> and oh, there, and it was like a production line, you know, we'd have two pots on the stove going at once with mixers. We had two people, we had a person in each pot. As soon as one was ready, we start, we hand poured these things and we used, you know, the, the frothing cups at, at Starbucks, the, the metal. Yep. We literally use those to pour the deodorants. <laughs> and there was like three of us pouring at once and like every, you know, 15 minutes, another pot would be ready. So another person had to go and pour and we would knock out like, listen, you know, five to 6,000 in, in half a day um, pieces. So, you know, we're making, we're making roughly about 20, 25,000 units a month, um, which wasn't half bad, quite honestly, at the time. Um, 
but it was exhausting. I mean, two o'clock in the morning, I literally would put all the sticks into garbage bags and we put the garbage bags into the, I literally looked like we were loading bodies. <laughs> was like, what? I'm just picturing this now. Right? Yeah. What the hell? I mean, we had just bags and bags, you know, 25, you know, 5,000 bags of deodorants, quite a bit. Anyway, and then we had to clean the place to make it look like it did before we walked in. So we would spend a good hour and a half of the evening on cleaning alone. And the beeswax yeah. and oils, you know, the stuff sticks. Um, yeah. So it was it was a challenge. We did that for probably about six months. During those six months, I was calling manufacturing plants left and right. And uh, I would ask a lot of questions. And a lot of people didn't want us. We were too small. We didn't hit their minimum quantities. Um, or they couldn't make the deodorants because it's considered a hot pour. Uh, it's not something you can um, make and let it sit and then like reheat. It needs to be, you know, made, heated, and poured yeah. immediately. Um, and, you know, I'm so glad that we made it because we were able to figure out how to mix it and certain ingredients that should go in before other ingredients that really changed our texture and our deodorant as well. Um, so I kind of went in and taught them a little bit of our process. And we had some wins and we had some epic fails. You know, we probably went through about three different manufacturers that first year. What was it that got you to the point where with a manufacturer that you liked? Was it just them them able to literally just, just make their product exactly how you wanted? Or like, what were you looking for from a manufacturer? <laughs> we had a manufacturer <laughs> that, um, you know, he had to tweak the formula a little bit for it to pour better. And once he tweaked it, when I asked for the ingredients and process, he said, well, since I tweaked it, I own the formula now. I was like, oh. and we found out from his chemist that all he did was uh, heat up the beeswax from 68 degrees to 70. So poor Yeah, like seriously, integrity, none. It was really tough. We, uh, we're lucky right now we found, uh, we have two manufacturers that have great integrity and they're very honest. Like, hey, listen, we found this or we can't do this or we're going to try this. And you know, open lines of communication as opposed to trying to take our formula or we had one that sent us 15,000 units that didn't even hit the elevator. So, um, you know, we had to basically, it actually ended up being really a blessing for us, but um, it was, yeah, it was, it was a lot of trial and error, but there is a, you know, I mean, they're in it for themselves, right? And when you're small, account, yeah. not talking probably 5,000 to 20,000 pieces is a small account, which is huge for us, yeah. right? Um, small for them. And so who cares? Like I had one manufacturer look at me and goes, I do a million and a half of this face cream at one time. <laughs> How did you convince the first one then, the first manufacturer? Well, you know, it was funny because I thought that they were great. And um, but what I didn't realize, we were the test dummies. You know, they had told us we worked with other deodorants in the past and they were so excited for us. What I found out later on um, that they tried to work with other deodorant companies and failed miserably. And therefore, that's why they were like redoing their whole program and we were going to be their test dummies. I didn't realize that. I thought that would be a benefit to us because it's going to cost us less money and we could go through an R&D that's not me in my kitchen. Yeah. What happened was the total opposite was, you know, we were their guinea pigs and because I didn't know any better, we ended up paying for a lot of their mistakes. 
when you mentioned that you're obviously a smaller account, you're just talking about five to 20,000 units potentially. What were some of these the I mean, minimums you were seeing from these different manufacturers at the time? Yeah, at the, at the time, time, yeah. To be clear, <laughs> what were some of the minimums you were you were seeing early on? So most of the times, the minimums were about ten thousand units, five to ten thousand units. You could always negotiate for smaller, you know, units on the first run just to just to see how it goes. Um, but between five to ten thousand, and you got to understand, we had like at the time, I think we had three cents, so it wasn't five to ten thousand units. It was. 15 to 30,000 units for me because just because yeah. it's one, you know, puck, it's, it's, they're different scents. So they're different actual batches. So, um, for us, for us to do it through a manufacturer, we had to do all three of our scents. Now we have five cents. So, you know, if we're doing 10,000 piece minimum, we're actually doing 50,000 units right now. So yeah, for each one. Right. So for the, to the manufacturer, he's like, well, you're doing 10,000. I'm like, yeah, to the, to us, it was 50,000. So. Yeah, no, I understand that. And, and, and when you mentioned that you obviously start with this, this four seasons to begin with, and you have yeah. to change the, change the packaging and you've made a lot of adjustments with that, but you've clearly grown a lot since then. Take me through what your kind of growth strategy ha has been since you started and how that's gone. I'm really curious about that as well. You know, that. I had, everybody's like, you know, write a business plan, do this and that. And I kind of did, but I, I kind of didn't. I did uh, I did something a little bit different. I did a vision board of why we're doing this, what we, what's the point of freedom and who our clients are kind of deal. And yeah. and visually, because I'm, I'm a very visual person, visually that made more sense to me because, you know, what we wanted to do, I wanted to grow this brand, bring this brand up, and I want to sell the brand, you know, just like every entrepreneur does, right? But there was a goal behind it. And the reason was, was I wanted to sell it to a much larger company because I wanted to be able to use their ammunition to get us bigger. You know, a lot of people say they don't want to sell it's a sellout, whatever. I disagree. I'd rather use somebody else's money for marketing. I'd rather use somebody else's money for R&D and to get the brand bigger and better. You know, um, it always reminded me of like, remember Calgon take me away in the bath, right? It was known as the, the, <laughs> the, the bath uh, company. I want freedom to be the same way, but I want it to be across the board, not just deodorants, you know, kind of like you look at EO, yeah. right? You know, you want, you want somebody to look at it and go, Oh, I know freedom. You know, I know the line, I know freedom. I know it's clean. I, but not only do I know it's clean, it's going to smell good. It's going to look good. I'm fine with it. Like it's the higher end, you know, natural line. Yeah. But also the easily accessible line. I never wanted us to be the $28 deodorant. You know, I never wanted us to be um, the ones you could only find in the high-end stores or specialty. I actually wanted us to be more mass. You know, I want—I remember when Paul Mitchell went into Target and went, oh my God, that's so smart. Um, I had another friend of mine that owns a big sunscreen company and he started a second line that went into the mass stores. And he's like, I should have done this from the beginning. Yeah, and I think that's important that you mention that because as an entrepreneur, there's so many different ways you can go about growing your business and different options you have for that. And it's like if you don't have that vision of what it's going to be or what do you want it to be, like you obviously you want it to be mass, you want it to be huge. It makes a bigger impact in that way. And knowing that, then to, you know that dictates your decisions that you make in the business as well. And so I think it's really important that you mention that early on too. If somebody didn't mention, was this all bootstrap from the beginning? Did you have any funding? How did that go from? Oh my as well? god. 
It was so bootstrapped. Uh, well, you know, the, the funny <laughs> thing is, okay, so I had a financial firm, right? And I was able to sell yep. that financial firm in a good way where I didn't have to take an income for a couple of years, which was great. You know, I owned my own home and I just really, I pared down my bills and just, I, I was prepared going into it because I think a lot of people don't realize like you don't get paid for the first couple of years. You can be a unicorn, right? But even if you grow that quickly, I promise you, most of your money has gone right back into the company to grow it even more, right? Because yeah. you're not, or, like for us, when we order for QVC, let's say, we have to order six months beforehand. And we don't get paid for months after QVC airs us. So we've got like yeah. a crazy seven, eight month cycle of money that we, we can't even touch it. And when that comes back in, we're buying again for six months later. So, and I think that's the misconstrued part. You know, everybody hears about like, you know, the Instagram guys that walked into a coffee shop, started talking, paired up, put up Instagram and sold for a billion dollars two years later. That doesn't happen. Anomaly. Yes. <laughs> Once, right? Um, yeah. Ask Sarah Blakely. You know what I mean? I highly doubt she took an income right away, right? She put everything right back in yeah. the company. Um, so I sold the company. Uh, we bootstrapped from day one. It was actually, if I could change anything, I would have changed that probably. Um, I probably would have tried to get a little bit more funding up front just because I think it would have scaled us quicker. Um, yeah. So because it takes money to scale and a lot of people don't talk about that. Um, you know, I was, I, one of our uh, competitors were, you know, uh, not anymore because they're they're bought. But native, you know, they were talking about how they only took four hundred thousand, five hundred thousand at the beginning. They didn't really need it because they were making money. It makes me laugh because that five hundred thousand is a huge, pivotal moment that you can use for marketing for so many other things to even hire one or two people to help you get to that next level that you're making even more. Um, I feel like us bootstrapping it and not knowing about e-commerce, like this is just not my playing field. Um, and going the um, retail route was a, was harder. If I had to go back and do it, I would have raised a little bit of money and brought on an e-com partner for sure. You know, um, but we bootstrapped for three years and we got our first angel investors and we didn't even raise that much, a couple hundred thousand dollars. And we tried to raise more. And it, the funny thing is I would walk into a room and a guy would look at me and go, you know what? This sounds amazing. You're great. And let me ask my wife what kind of deodorant she uses. Jesus. Uh, yeah. Uh, frustrating. More times than none. I was at a meeting. Uh, they had a couple of female angels that I was pitching to. And they sat there and they talked about product the whole time. Not one of them asked me about my business. Jeez. Yeah. How did you get through that that part and continue on? Um, We just did. I mean, you know, as an entrepreneur, you just, you hustle. Like, you know, we've got a pandemic and yet we're having a banner year. You know, we're going to yeah. hit the goals where everybody else is like, oh my God, what do I do? You know, you just go, you just go and ask questions later. Like you can't just stand there and stop. You figure it out. So, you know, we only have a little bit of money. What do we do? Do I, I pulled an equity line of credit on my house um, to get us through some, some thin moments. Um, I was lucky. I was having dinner with a friend of mine and one of his other friends was sitting there and she looked at her husband and said, for my birthday, I want to invest in her company. Which I was like, oh my God, thank you. And that was literally Amazing. a huge pivotal point for us. And that was just not even that long ago. And now, you know, we start talking, we finally had a VC that said, you know what, we freaking love you. And I'm like, finally, somebody sees the light. And the pandemic hit and we're <laughs> we 
intelligence. You know, what do you do? Yeah. You apply for every loan available. You do everything you can. You know, I always hear stories. I remember, I don't remember who it was, but they literally had a book and had credit cards in it. Like it was a photo album book, but instead of photos, it was like credit cards because that's like oh literally. <laughs> um, wow. You know, Vegas is a tough place because it's not used to CPG. So going out here and trying the pitch meetings, like what pitch meeting? You're not dealing with a casino, a hotel, some kind of technology because that's, you know, that's downtown Vegas, right? Yeah. They don't want to talk to you. With going back for a second here, you mentioned the the angel funding and you bootstrapped to start with and obviously made so much progress that way. And then you eventually decide to to take on some angel funding. What was that used for? What was kind of the use of funds uh, for that at the time? You know, um, again, looking back, I'm like, I should have used it a little bit differently, but most of it, like 90% of it was uh, for inventory. Mm, yep. You know, and everybody's like, you did that for inventory. I'm like, we were getting orders. But the thing is, we couldn't prepare going forward. When inventory, we had a couple key, uh, we key buys too. I needed to get an operations person and I needed to get a marketing person. Um, so it was actually three prong between the two key employees and um, inventory for us. Gotcha. And then from that, you mentioned you would have, you would have done it differently though. How would you have changed that going back? Right. Um, one, you know, I would have talked to a couple of my successful friends. The funny thing is when you're talking to somebody who lives in like a trailer and they're giving you business advice, I don't know. Yeah. No. You question the source. Right. You question the source. Um, or somebody who's had like a business that is a evergreen business and they've had for 25 years and they inherited it from their parents or whatever. You know what I mean? And they're trying to tell you how to run the business. They probably have some really good ideas as far as employees and stuff like that. But when it comes to growing, that's not what they've done. They didn't even start it. Right. So yeah. I have to question the sources quite a bit. And the best things have happened when I've had fellow entrepreneurs that have done well, give me referrals. That's always been great. That actually opened more doors to potential investors for us from other uh, entrepreneurs that have been funded, believe it or not. Um, Because a lot of people don't go that route. They go straight to the groups. They go to everything else. Well, you could go there and you start really cold or you could have somebody who's talked to them. They know and said, they say, hey, listen, really, this is another company that's right next to us and you should talk to them. And they, they value that. Yeah. And one thing I just came to mind as well with, with your company, with, with Freedom, looking at you go from Four Seasons to another Four Seasons and other, another branch as well, a, a different hotel group. Then you also have the e-commerce side of things as well. How do you kind of look right now, looking, how do you look at distribution and growth uh, from that standpoint as well? So we've completely shifted right now. Um, you know, and that's the one thing I will say to entrepreneurs, you know, we had a situation right around the beginning of the pandemic when one of our team members looked at me and she goes, that's off brand. We can't do this. And I understand it's really great to stay on brand, but I also believe that you've got to test your boundaries. What is your brand? What does your brand stand for? Right? So if my product is to get people healthier, right? What does it matter if it's just deodorant or something else? Right? Yeah. And they were so stuck in their ways. And I, a lot of people that I meet are so stuck in their ways. You know, e-commerce was really intimidating for me. I'll be honest with you. You know, um, it's just not what I'm used to. I'm used to trade shows, being in front of people, talking to people, 
you know, um, it was just a different world. And because of that, it really scared me. And I would put it in people's hands and not ask a lot of questions. And then once they were failing, I would ask a lot of questions and it would come back as you're micromanaging me. I'm like, dude, I haven't even been here for like a month with you. Right. Like, (laughs) yeah, right. That's not micromanaging. You're failing. Um, and I learned very quickly that you, um, hire slowly and fire quickly. I mean, I think that is something that every entrepreneur needs to know. Like if you, if this, if the cancer begins, cut it out, like seriously and quickly. Um, and I didn't listen. I listened to a whole bunch of people that told me that they were really good at what they did and they weren't. Um, until I started really kind of like educating myself and that's what I've done for the last couple of months. And we just hired a new team that we'll see you know, fingers crossed, we do want to grow. And the other part that I had trouble with was how much money you have to spend on spend right now. It's not four years ago. It's not when native instruments were out. You know what I mean? Like they did a great job. It's much different now. Yeah. Yeah. Their timing was spot on and smart for them to sell. Right. Uh, Because they're like, we're not going into this because now it's like the the better off you are. So we're taking a little bit of a different approach with e-commerce. We're going to have a lot of different things in the next few months because this, you know, the group we're working with right now, we're, we're digging deep. Like we're getting our voice and redoing a lot of our stuff. And I'm not listening to people how good they are. I'm telling them to show me. Yeah. What are the results that you've gotten? Yeah. 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 I don't want, don't tell me I need to pay, pay you for strategy. Fuck you. Excuse my language. Sorry. No, totally fine. You know? Yeah. You don't need that. Yeah, and having been at an agency before um, and understanding like how they how they operate it, it's like it's so much testing. I mean, that's all yeah. it's going to be. It's like, can you get results? And how do you get results? Is by testing weekly, testing new creative, testing new copy, testing different things to see what works. Because you can have a, a educated guess on what might work, but until you get into the marketplace and show, okay, we'll see how people actually respond to these ads or how they actually respond to having freedom in front of them. You know, and from an e-commerce perspective. Then you'll then you'll find out what's working or not. You can't just guess. Uh, and like you said, you don't need just strategy. You need someone who can actually run the whole thing and help you do it. So, yeah, quite the difference between trade shows and and that side of things versus the e-commerce environment. And and one of the things you, we talked about, uh, I know early on, I, I you wanted to clarify the five to ten thousand, uh, twenty thousand. That was that was like early on. Like what kind of traction today? How big is the team? I'm curious about that too. Uh, well, the team we are we are actually looking for a social media marketing manager right now. Um, so just an FYI, if you know anybody out there, um, the position does come with equity because we want somebody who's seasoned and who knows how to do it and will actually do it as well. Um, because it would, it, it would encompass all of marketing. They would watch over e-commerce and track it. You know, we already have a team that's doing that for e-commerce, but they would track all of it between the social media and everything else as well. Um, so we are looking for that human. We do believe they exist out there. And we can't pay them a lot of money. So, <laughs> no, we, we have an equity position. Uh, we have an equity piece for them, which is awesome. Um, our team, oh, goodness gracious, we have seven. I'm like looking outside our window right now. Uh, I'm in the conference room. <laughs> we have seven. We have about 10 last week because we were on Good Morning America. So we hired uh, three temporary staff to, um, to pack the orders, which they literally filled three gigantic postal bins with. Um, those tall oh, wow. ones, the tall metal ones, like it, it, it was awesome. Um, and we've got an outside e-com team of 12 people now. 
and we just got a PR team of eight people. And so I'm just kind of managing all of that, but it's still like a work in process progress. Every time I feel like we're comfortable and we've got a good team, something happens. You know what I mean? It's like, really? Yeah. Especially COVID. Oh, of course. But you know, Vegas is super tough too, because the expertise in Vegas doesn't lie in e-commerce or CPG. You know, it's, it's a tough town you know, yeah. when you're, you're a waitress and you can make a hundred thousand a year. Why would you go work for a startup for 40? You know, it makes sense. Yeah. Talent pool. Yeah. It's different. It, it really is. It really is. And, you know, we've tried, we've reached out to downtown um, Vegas, you know, which, you know, and just really got no response. With that too, then. So at this point, and you're, you're thinking about potentially more investors and growing more, yeah. is it something where you, you have certain numbers you're targeting or you're just just want to grow at all, all costs and you've gone from, you know, a, a few thousand, so I'm sure much more than that now, I assume. Like, what is the, the the future kind of look like? So, you know, I have a number in mind. I'm not going to throw it out there just yet. Um, sure. And it's a, we're on a four-year trajectory to hit that number right now. Um, and, you know, what I will say to every single entrepreneur out there, always start your business with your end goal and work backwards from it. Um, you know, I knew that I wanted to sell for X number to sell at X number at at the multiples that they were at the time when I started the business, I needed to be at X number, right? What does that look like? You know, uh, wholesale and like seven to $8 product. That's, that's quite a lot of product, right? So, um, is that massive e-commerce? Is that Amazon? Is that um, a major retailer? Um, what is it? What does it look like? And within our first year, we started seeing where things fell, right? Like I never thought QVC was as big as it is. It's amazing, right? We love our QVC family. Uh, but we sell, you know, $60,000, $70,000 worth of deodorants in eight minutes. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> that right? is crazy. And um, so... We never even factor that in. So now we have quadrants of like e-commerce, retail, QVC, you know what I mean? Um, and we have certain guidelines that we have to hit on those. And I wouldn't have figured that out if I didn't have that end end game, you know, in, in my mind from day one. Because, you know, I want to sell, I want to sell to a larger company. I'll probably have to stay with that larger company for a couple of years. But I want to be an angel investor for female entrepreneurs. As hard as it's been for me to get funding, I'm like, oh my God. And like, I present well, right? I'm just like this nuts. You know, they want us to come in and say, we're going to do $5 million in a year, you know, when we did only a million last year with no end game in sight, but we're going to use all this money for marketing. Like, it's so weird. It's like investors don't even want a good... Like if you look at our business, we were profitable year one, right? right? And what I should have done is just, you know, taken everything and instead of putting it into more products, putting it more into marketing. I learned that, you know, took me a couple of years to learn it, but we figured it out. But I look at some companies and they're like, yeah, we did 3 million last year, but we spent 2.6 million on marketing. <laughs> you know, wow. if we spend 5 million, then we're going to make a million. What? But that's the trend. That's what people are doing right now. You know, um, 
So, and that's where most of the venture venture money goes into is is the advertising side of it. A lot of times, yeah. look at this company has been profitable from year one, right? Why don't we put some money in there and actually grow the brand? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just just to go back to your point real quick, because I, I think I want to is important to your your mention of eventually selling the company, being an angel investor, and investing in women. I've had uh, one of the people of iPhone Women. Uh, she, she started the iPhone Women of Color, and particularly uh, the kind of a branch of iPhone Women, which is a, which is a crowdfunding platform that people can use, obviously, to raise funds for their business. That's an option people can look at to consider because yeah, it, it is difficult right now, especially for women who raise a fraction yeah. of the VC money goes to women um, and more people like you who wanted to be an angel investor is great. More investors who are investing in minorities and also women is great. And you can see a little, little bit of it changing now as a long ways to go. But I just think it's really important that you mentioned that as well. And people understand, especially women understand there's, there's different resources out there um, that can increase your chances like iPhone women, for instance, just want to make that known. I think women investors need to change. We do. I mean, I saw this when I was a financial advisor. You know what I mean? Women don't talk to other women about money as much. Um, There's some, I'm not saying they don't, but they really don't. And um, it's starting to change, you know, but we'll we'll be more able to talk about business than money, which is crazy. Um, And talk about how to spend money faster than how to actually (laughs) save it or make it. Whereas men don't. Men actually talk about making money. Men actually refer each other. I remember the first two angel investors that we got, and we only have three, so let's, I mean, <laughs> we're not too crazy, yeah. right? But the first one we got, who's huge, um, he just called one of his buddies, and he's like, this company rocks. And the guy didn't even wear deodorant. He doesn't wear deodorant, what? <laughs> right? He's like, if this guy vouches for you, you're in. And gave us a check. Yes. I was like, are you kidding me? And the more I talk to people, the more I hear those stories constantly with male investors Yeah, who say, you know, if I don't know somebody, I bet you I could find you somebody who you'd be interested in or at least talk to. Um, I don't see that with women. In fact, I see the total opposite. You have to do this for me and I'll do this for you. Maybe. Jeez. You know, I need to teach you how to do this. That's my favorite. Um, like you have to go through my boot camp to really know how to do this. And it's like, oh, oh, okay. Like we're, we're kind of beyond that. Right. Like, can we have a conversation? Yeah. Um, it's, it's been really tough. You know, we're very, women are very territorial and I mean, it's, it's a known fact. Women don't refer. We we're not good referrers, you know, cause we're too afraid that if somebody has a bad experience, it's going to come back on us. Hmm. Right. But I mean, Things are changing. I mean, listen, I got on your podcast from a referral, which is so cool. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Sabina. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but it's, I think things are changing. Um, and I can't wait to be part of that change. I have three daughters, right? Like, I got to do something yeah. for them to, to do something. Absolutely. And then more, yeah, the more you can do, the more that will help them in the future. And uh, one of the things with your journey and having built this company, obviously you built another financial company before, but having built Freedom, have there been any particular books? I'm a big reader, so I always have to ask about this. Any particular books, whether it be personal or business, that just been impactful for you in your life? There's one. And you know, the funny thing is this was recommended to me when I was a financial advisor and it rings true, I think, for any business. Have you ever heard of E-Myth? Yeah. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Right. Just the fact of how much are you working in your business as opposed to actually working on your business was like life changing. I always notice when we don't have like 
good weeks or good months, it's because I'm in it. I'm like playing operations. I'm playing everything else. And I'm like, that's not what I'm good at. I'm good at, let me open doors. Let's talk to these people. Let's do that. I mean, that's what I'm good at. And the more I get into the weeds, the worse we do. Yeah. On any business level, any business level is like the key right there. Yeah, I have to echo that, especially for as I'm getting more on the podcasting thing, like for me, like editing podcasts and any podcaster doing that, like that's working in your business. And even some other things are working in your business versus hiring someone to do the editing. So you can either book guests or find more distribution or other bigger, higher level things. Yeah. That's something I've found over the last two years. If I've, I've had an editor for a while, uh, cause it allows me to do some of those other things to make some of these partnerships and get through some of these referrals to happen, which wouldn't happen if I was just, Oh, let me just edit all these. Cause that's for me as a daily podcaster, I mean, editing could take two hours in terms of an episode that's literally 14 right. hours a week you know and so the same thing applies you know the other day we let our social media person go for various reasons and um i'm like you know what i'll just take it over for like a month and like a week a, a couple days into it i looked at my operations guy i'm like i can't do this because why i go it takes you <laughs> 30 minutes to post something and to make sure i yeah. take it properly and then um to i can't even get it on our calendar but there's two other people in our office who can't so I've been like yeah. delegating <laughs> out and I finally said to him yesterday, I was like, you know what? We need a marketing person, somebody who's got strategy, who knows how to do it and knows how to execute as well, you know? Um, yeah. And that's when we decided we're like, that's our next hire. And I read something, I think it was built to scale. I don't remember the name of it. Um, I'm a huge podcast listener though, too. So yeah. as much as like, I may not read a book because I have, like I said, I have three kids and I run a business and if I, I'm like five pages in, I'll fall asleep. Um, <laughs> I'm old too. And um, so, um, oh. so I listened to How I Built This. I love that one. Love yep. How I Built This. Um, so good. Obviously, Reed Hoffman's uh, podcast. Um, yep. Masters of Scale. Yeah. Yeah. But the problem with Masters of Scale that I've seen recently, and I hope he goes back to it. Like, I kind of wish he went back to like grassroots owners. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. kind of went off yeah. the track when he started getting into celebrity owners and stuff like that. When I remember I was listening to one and the, the person on was like, I went to Disneyland and I thought, wow, the marketing's great here. So I just called the head of Disney. <laughs> You're like, oh, of course he did. <laughs> <laughs> like, number, like pass it along. Um, so yeah. I love- Super actionable tip for everyone to do. Right, yeah. totally. I love the stories. Um and maybe it's my romantic heart of like, you know, Stony Brook Farms when they're out there like literally milking their cows at night and talking as being like, you know, being on a forum the next day, an <laughs> expert in organic farming and then begging their, their mother-in-law to give them more money because they didn't have money for payroll and then selling for $800 million. Like, that's, That's insane. Yeah. Great story because it shows what you really got to do. Like, you know, everybody's like, I'm going to do a startup. I'm like, somebody told me a long time ago, they're like, plan on not dating for two years. What are you talking about? <laughs> they're like, you have a family and you have a business. You're also going to have a dating life. Oh, and by the way, don't see your friends. And I was like, you're crazy. And she's like, listen, you know, this was actually really, I think it was uh, Mark Zuckerberg's sister said this. If you're a female entrepreneur and there's the things in your life are like your kids, 
your parents, because that's two different things, right? Your kids, your parents, your business, your friends, your health, right? Um, yep. And I think there was like one more, it was like downtime or something. So there was like six things, right? She's like, if you're a female entrepreneur, pick three. <laughs> yeah, I remember hearing that. And it, it's so true though, right? It's so true. I, my poor friends, they send me messages like, we know you're alive because we can see you on social media, but one day we'd like to see you or we just forgot your phone number. Um, didn't go on a date for three years. Looking forward to getting back into it now. Mm. Um, not too <laughs> personal there, um, but still don't have time. I gotta tell you, still don't have time. Oh, the whole time thing, yeah. It's Gosh. just, you know, because you want to spend time with your kids, and I do. Um, I do like them, even though they're teenagers. Um, and I want to, you know, there's so much I got to do in the business front. Um, that's getting a little easier. You know, we got a great ops person now that really took a lot off my plate. And I mean, it, oh, a lot off my plate. Um, but still, you you also want your time, right? You want to sit inside. Yeah. You want to read a book. Like, I'm, I really want to read a book um, and not fall asleep. It takes time. It can do. It does, right? So you got to have yeah. new time. And I, I kind of, so it's, it's still difficult. And I think entrepreneurs don't realize that. I'm like, oh, and by the way, I'm the least paid person in all of the payroll. Right? So. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of sacrifice to make, to build a company and having done, you know, hundred plus interviews, like it's so much sacrifice. You see it over and over again. It's the thing you want to be doing, which is why you're doing it. And there's a big vision behind that and, and impactful things you want to do. And you, you want to sell a company. There's all of these different things that go into it, but there, there is sacrifice. And that's, that is what it takes uh, to be an entrepreneur and go this path, which is different, but there's obviously there's so many rewarding things that come along with it as well. And, and I want to be respectful of your, of your time as well. And, uh, I want to let people know, uh, where can people go to learn more about freedom and all you're doing? Right. So freedomdeodorant.com or freedomdeo, short for deodorant, um, dot com goes to the same website. So you could always see us there. You can find us on Amazon. You could find us online. You can find us on QVC. Hopefully in a couple months, you'll find us in a major retailer as well too. Um, fingers crossed. Uh, yeah. Fingers crossed, fingers, toes, legs, everything's crossed right now. Um, <laughs> But yeah, you could um, find your freedom. You know, I, can I tell a quick story though? Sure. I'll make it quick. So the hummingbird, you know, we always say find your freedom and we have hummingbird is our logo. A few years ago, I was going through a divorce and I went to a spa, back to my spa. Um, and uh, I was losing my mind and I decided to see a tea leaf reader at the spa, a Red Mountain Spa. And because uh, I needed somebody to tell me my future because Obviously, I could not figure it out through this divorce. It was really painful. And um, she turns over the tea leaves and she looks inside and she goes, it's a hummingbird. She goes, that's awesome. Congratulations. And I'm like, wait a minute. I just paid you $200 for to tell me when the next big deal was coming, when I was going to meet the next guy. Like, you gave me a hummingbird? Like, are you kidding? <laughs> Is there anything else in the leaves? And she's like, no, this, she goes on about how great it is. I was so like, just, oh, I literally got up and walked out. And as I walked out, she goes, your hummingbird's going to bring, bring you your freedom. Amazing. So if you're wondering if you're on the right path, sometimes you just kind of have to listen to the things around you. Ira, this has been a lot of fun. 
Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Oh my God, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yay. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.